Hello, friends. Trust me when I tell you that never gets old. It's really fun. Um, thank you all so much for being here today. It is such a joy to see all of you. Um, and I especially want to thank um, everybody who's been involved in the process up until, up until today. There's a lot of people to thank. I should stick to the script because it's really bad if I don't. And I know I've got at least one board member who's already asked me like, if I'm going to go on and go off script, so I'll stop. Okay, so officially then, hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. Today is Monday, December 12th. I'm Dan Malthrop. I'm going to be the master of ceremonies today for this very special City Club program. Today we will induct four City Club members into the City Club Hall of Fame. Since our first induction in 1985, the City Club has recognized 37 outstanding members of our community. And during our induction ceremony in 2015, the late Steve Minter quoted the City Club's 75th anniversary book, America's Soapbox. He noted, quote, the book refers to the type of persons it hopes to attract to club membership, participatory citizens, those who get involved in the affairs of their community in asking tough questions, and in proposing solutions to difficult dilemmas. Today, this ceremony honors City Club members who have made both significant contributions to this organization and to the broader community as well. Those are the criteria the committee considers in the process of considering nominees for inclusion in the City Club Hall of Fame. And I think you'll find that our inductees today meet those criteria with flying colors. We're here to bestow this important recognition on four individuals. A retired mayor who introduced the first sitting US president to speak from our stage. A judge who earlier in her career had served as our organization's first female president. A legislator, lawyer, and gifted tenor. <laughs> and the only city club member to pull a Grover Cleveland on our board, returning to the presidency in a time of transition. These four individuals have dedicated an incredible amount of time, talent, and resources to the City Club, all of which helped to shape this organization into the diverse free speech forum that we have today. The selection process for Hall of Fame nomination was led by City Club past president uh, Len Calabrese, along with a committee appoint, uh, comprised of City Club past presidents and members. Could the members of the Hall of Fame nominating committee please stand for our recognition? That's you. Come on. Thank you so, so much for your help with all of this today. With that, we're going to get started with the inductions. And first, we'll invite a member of the City Club up to say a few words about each of those who are being inducted. And then those who are being inducted in turn, or a member of their family for our inductees who have departed, will say a few words and then um, and then we will have a, a photo taken. And just to, just to do a little bit of logistics, you'll receive it. You'll say a few words. Photo over here. Cheryl thanks you. OK. Um, so starting us off as a dear friend of the City Club and someone we can always rely on to have a, a question, even if not a brief question, for our speakers, <laughs> it's Rick Taft, who will be inducting Bruce Akers.
gave a speech here several years ago when I was inducted to the Hall of Fame, and I had the presence of mind to give my wife, who was sitting there, a backup copy. And I got through my copy, and it was in the wrong, the wrong pages. I said, dear, here, my backup copy. There it was. These are in the right order. <clears throat> I'm Rick Taft, a former president of the City Club and a proud member of its Hall of Fame. I'm also a former Pepper Pike City Council member who is, again, proud to present to you for Hall of Fame induction, <coughs> induction today my friend and mentor, Bruce Akers, a City Club luminary who served Pepper Pike for 16 years on City Council and then 20 years as mayor. When I called Bruce to tell him that I would be introducing him at today's induction ceremony, he told me that he felt honored that I had been chosen to introduce him. No, I told him. It was I who was honored to be introducing him. Well, he said, his was really the greater honor. <laughs> Not really, I said. I felt more honored to be here honoring him. <laughs> After some discussion, we agreed to submit the question of whose was the greater honor to the City Club parliamentarian, if, if, if he or she exists. Taking note of this conversation, it will astonish no one here to learn that Bruce's nickname in high school was Senator. Though he did not become a U.S. Senator, as kiddingly foretold, he found in the office of mayor of the city he lovingly called simply Pepper, a perfect home for his desire to be of service to his community and to help make the world a better place. His service as mayor brings to mind a simple reality of the political world. The office in which you may serve is, of course, important, but the reality that reflects most deeply on your character is not where you serve, but how you serve. Bruce fiercely wanted to do what was right. His five terms as mayor suggest his neighbors felt his intentions were solid, his judgment was sound, and his achievements put the city on a high road. Bruce is a Republican who has won esteem in a Democratic county. The County Mayors and City Managers Association elected him its president. He co-chaired the successful effort to transform a county that had lapsed into corruption to a far more sturdy and legible county executive and county council structure. In the city club, his questions addressed to forum speakers were rooted in his conservative values, 
but presented with civility, acuity, and a bit of oratorical flourish. He embodies what the City Club cherishes, free flow of ideas and incisive inquiry from every vantage point. His role in the club can be seen as a response to the call of the first sentence of the club's creed. I hail and harbor and hear men and now women of every belief and party. For within my portals, prejudice grows less and bias dwindles. I close with a historical footnote dear to Bruce's heart. Bruce was seated next to President Reagan when he spoke to a city club gala in 1988. The president had already survived one assassination attempt, and security that day was extraordinarily tight. Known to Bruce, but unknown to the vast audience, the waiters serving the president were Secret Service agents who were ready at any sign of trouble to step forward and swiftly take the president backward through a gap in the curtain and onto a well-positioned mattress. Unknown even to Bruce, I believe he would have propelled himself right through the same gap in the curtain on the chance that another body on the mattress could help protect the Commander-in-Chief. <laughs> How fitting that today we induct him into the City Club Hall of Fame. Bruce, you may make it. Take, take picture you take now. a picture now, please. Yes. Oh, boy. Okay, great. Well, here, you should hold it. You hold it. There you go. It's yours. It's yours. Thank you very much. Hi. Good. All right. Okay, great. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Rick. <clears throat> Excuse me. I cannot adequately express my sincere appreciation and my deep gratitude for this great honor. It means a great deal to me, uh, to, to, uh, given, given the history, the stature, the reputation of this renowned citadel of free speech. This community has been blessed to have the City Club making such a contribution to enlightening us on the issues of the day. Since joining the City Club back in the 1960s, and for some of you young whippersnappers, I know that means age, but forget that. Um, <clears throat> I, w I have w witnessed an amazing array of speakers uh, from a whole host of backgrounds who have shared with us their expertise, their points of view, and yes, some of their uh, very strongly held opinions. But it's made for a healthy and a strong, uh, healthy discussion <clears throat> and spirit exchange of ideas and points of view. 
and this is good and important for a free society. Just look at the names etched on the windows and, and the lobby of prior speakers inscribed on those glass doors. What an amazing panorama of famous, notable uh, individuals over the past century who have come here to speak. In a nutshell, this community, and yes, this country, are all the stronger for having organizations like the City Club. Furthermore, the City Club has been blessed with a wide array of great community leaders as members who have made a significant contribution to the club and to the community. For example, just to give you one example that comes to my mind, which sticks out as one of those great individuals, one of those great club members, is a gentleman by the name of Richard Pogue, known to more, more, more of us as Mr. Everywhere. Yeah. Because he truly is everywhere in the community. There are a whole host of boards, organizations, organizations, and causes uh, that have been touched in one way or another by Mr. Everywhere. And in one way or another, through his help, he has made them stronger and, and given them new hope and vital support, thereby further strengthening our community. Mr. Everywhere, Dick Pogue to some of you, is a clear example of one of the City Club's great leaders. As I reflect on my years as a member, I have two very special memories. First, I was honored to chair the search committee that looked for the successor to Alan Davis when he retired. We looked at a whole host of names, uh, but one clearly emerged as uh, the new director, and that was Alan Davis, excuse me, I'm sorry, it was <laughs> Jim Foster to succeed, to succeed Alan Davis. What an amazing job Jim did in giving the club a new shot in the arm and bringing a new energy and great programming to this club. And how blessed we are today that his successor, Dan Malthorp, is carrying on in that tradition with his strong leadership. And I just want to thank them, take him for that. The other, the, uh, uh, other memory I have that I treasure was the opportunity that's been mentioned of introducing President Reagan to the City Club in January 1988. Got enough time? All right. Um, the crowd was, we couldn't contain it here. We went down to the, what was then the Stouffer Ballroom, now Renaissance. And I had the honor of introducing him. Uh, you, you know, it's not that many, time, many times that a person gets a chance to introduce the President of the United States. Uh, and uh, I got a little nervous about this. And so I took a, a three by five card and wrote down a couple of questions in case I, fro I froze and stuck in my pocket. Well, came the uh, luncheon, and I'm gonna tell you, I never pulled that card out. That gentleman was just like a friend over the backyard fence. He was so down to earth. It was amazing. There was no stuffed shirtness or about on the President of the United States. It was so easy to talk to him. 
And so we sat there at the dining room table, the dining table, the head table, before the program started. Uh, I said to him, Mr. President, uh, I'm just curious, with all your experiences and all you've done, is there any one individual or individuals that particularly impressed you, that particularly stand out in your mind? And he said, oh, he said, that's easy. And the first name he gave me was Anwar Sadat, the former head of president of Egypt, who back then, when it was not popular, worked out a deal between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And that took courage and guts back in those days, for which he was ultimately assassinated, as you know. But he said the courage of that man, he said he just, it made such an impression on Reagan. He said the second one uh, that comes to mind is Margaret Thatcher. And you recall, we are, we are a member of the Group of Seven. When those seven countries meet once a year, and they rotate the country they're in. <clears throat> and whatever country is in, that head of that state, he or she designates where the uh, meeting will be held. And Reagan, and the, and the previous year was our time, and Reagan picked the site for the, the meeting at being Williamsburg. And then another tradition, the president uh, has the uh, part, of the, part of the procedure was the night before the conference starts, the heads of those seven states meet with no aides, no assistance. The one exception that year was the Japanese ambassador, had to, the Japanese prime minister, had to have the uh, uh, interpreter because he couldn't speak English. And then part of that tradition was that uh, so, so the person, the host picks the place. He picked the governor's palace at Williamsburg for the candlelight dinner. And then the other tradition is that the head of state, the head of state gives the first toast. And so after the dinner was over, Reagan stood up and gave a toast, nice comments and all that. And then he said, in turn to Mrs. Thatcher, and he said, Margaret, if you're king, two centuries ago, had not been so stubborn and so bullheaded. And she spoke up and said, then I'd be hosting you tonight. One more I have to give you. That this, in, it, 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 some of you may recall, this 1988, we were in the, in the playoff, running for the playoff. The previous Saturday, this was on a Monday, the previous Saturday we beat the Indianapolis Colts, which took us to, the, to Denver, the following, or a couple weeks later. And uh, so we uh, decided we should give the president some memento. And, that, and, and the secret service said, it's right for the host to give some memento. At the time, I said, oh, we have a book. This is our 75th anniversary. We have a book of speeches. And, I get, and, you, and you could just see the pain on this guy's face. No. Well, what finally came out, they want something that had a photo opportunity to it, and uh, to it. And so, we got him, uh, at that time there was a place in town called Daffy Dan, got him a t-shirt. And, and, and you remember uh, the Reagan's role as, a, as a, the gipper. And uh, so we had, I printed on the shirt, front of the shirt, City Club of Cleveland welcomes President Reagan. On the back of the shirt, we had, uh, and, 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 uh, and I gave this to the president, he unwrote it, he turned it around, and, and there's 1,400 people in that ballroom, and a whole host of photographers in front. And we put on there, <clears throat> go Browns, 
give one for, get one for the giver, win one for the gipper. So, and he loved that. So, <laughs> so at any rate, thank you very much, and I'm honored to be uh, sharing this uh, with the family of Art Brooks. He and I were great friends. We didn't always agree politically, I might tell you that. But, uh, and, 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 and to Judge Butler, I call her Judge Butler. What an amazing lady she was. Uh, she and I really just uh, hit it off, and what a loss it was. And then, of course, Paul Harris, the very distinguished partner at Thompson Hine. So thank you for this honor. Thank you, Mayor Akers. Um, you are indeed a, a treasure to our community. Um, now, friends, it's uh, my pleasure to welcome to the stage a man who couldn't make it here for his own induction into the City Club Hall of Fame, but uh, we're delighted to have him to speak about Art Brooks. It's Len Calabrese. Thanks, Dan. Good afternoon. Those of us uh, of a certain age probably recall the award-winning play and film, A Man for All Seasons. Invariably, when I think of Art Brooks, that is the description and the image that comes to my mind. He was indeed a man for all seasons. What a remarkable human being, and what a great guy who contributed so much in so many ways to the City Club of Cleveland, as well as our overall community. It is an honor to honor him. Art was a brilliant lawyer and state legislator whose concern for justice and equity, as well as the environment, led him to fight for the elimination of discrimination in housing policies and to write and lecture on sensible, sustainable land use policies. He continued that passion as an adjunct faculty member at the Levin College of Urban Affairs at Cleveland State University. His commitment to free speech and fostering civil dialogue on important issues of the day led to his long love of and service to the City Club. He was chair of the program committee in the late 80s and early 90s. In fact, in his own charming, persuasive way, he convinced me to succeed him in that role. <laughs> he didn't tell me that would sometimes feel like a lifetime appointment through the 90s and into this century. <laughs> Art delighted in being president of the City Club Board. After his term, he was always available with sage advice and was a regular at Friday forums. He was an eloquent supporter and ambassador for the City Club. Ever a well-rounded person, Art valued music and the outdoors. A talented tenor, he traveled with the Cleveland Orchestra Chorus, the Western Reserve Chorale, 
and other singing groups. He served on the board of Apollo's Fire, as well as the Ohio Audubon Society. I came to look forward to the times I would pick up Art as he waited for the Cedar Road bus. He had a keen intellect and seemingly boundless interest, so we would have lively conversations about politics and public policy, as well as the latest Cavaliers basketball game, books, and musical concerts. He had a great sense of humor. What a mensch. And what a special, special person. No wonder he is missed by so many. So, members and friends of the City Club, it is a distinct pleasure for me to induct Art Brooks into the City Club Hall of Fame. Tom Brooks, Art's son, will accept the award. Thank you, Len. Uh, thank you to the City Club, to Dan. Thank you to all the organizers. On behalf of my sisters, uh, the extended family and friends, Table 7 and 8, shout out to Table 7 and 8. <laughs> I'm happy to accept this recognition for Dad. Shout out to Karen on her birthday. Dad would have been thrilled to have all four siblings in town, even if we don't must necessarily get along. We are all in the same city at the same time. Um, Dad loved the City Club. The City Club loved him back. Sorry, I miss him. The former presidents, the past presidents, Dan, were at the funeral service for my father. This bell chimed for him. He believed in free speech vehemently, fiercely. He believed and was in awe of artistic expression and thought it should be unfettered completely, that artistic expression should be free. He had a different opinion of public free speech, which, that it, which carried a responsibility to have open dialogue. And so the mission, the mission of the City Club fit him perfectly, fostering conversations to support to help democracy thrive. Toward the end of his life, Dad was um, skeptical, concerned uh, that maybe he wasn't listening broadly enough, that he and his cohort weren't listening to their community. He felt that maybe he was disconnected. And because political discourse had become so superficial and so angry, so conflict conflicted, he felt that maybe by listening more broadly, by listening more broadly, he could improve, he could improve. And he thought that to the last day. The idea that the City Club will be closer to the community by moving closer to the community would have found his approval. So I'm grateful for that. Grateful to all of you for, for awarding this. Thank you.
You know, Tom referred to his father's funeral service. Um, I remember it very well. It was um, really a, I think, I think officially it was called a celebration of life. And often those, uh, those events are referred to in that way. And you feel like, yeah, like, like maybe, like sure, yeah, but it still feels like a funeral. That one actually was more a celebration of life than, um, than anything I've ever attended. And uh, it, was a, it was a beautiful thing. And it was, in fact, a moment that inspired us to, to restart this process of Hall of Fame inductions because we felt that um, we had missed an opportunity to do it during your dad's life. So, and I, I'm, I'm grateful that, that we've been able to do this today. And we, haven't, we aren't done yet. So, um, it's, now, uh, it's now our opportunity, our, our, our pleasure, our honor to invite Jan Roller to the stage to induct a truly incredibly important person in our institution's history, the Honorable Annette Butler. Good afternoon. The purpose of the City Club's Hall of Fame is to recognize and thank those who have provided significant service to the club and what it stands for, and to lift up heroes of civic engagement in our Cleveland community. It's my privilege and honor today to share information with you about one of those heroes, the first woman president of the City Club, Annette Garner Butler. That was in 1979. She was a trailblazer and an attorney who had a lifelong commitment to the pursuit of equality and justice. Annette left us all too soon on the last day of December in 2018. I remember her. My name is Jan Roller. Like Annette, I'm an attorney in town and was president of the City Club 30 years later in 2009. Although I don't recall how I encountered her, it may have been during a deposition, <laughs> I remember her as a tall, pleasant, good-looking woman with a deep, commanding voice who carried herself with great dignity. Frankly, as a young attorney, I was a little scared of her. <laughs> and, but I knew she was a person to respect. In a keynote speech at the Laurel School commencement in 2018, she explained at a very young age, her goal was to be somebody. But she really didn't know how to accomplish that. She said some of her relatives had not even graduated from high school and none had gone to college. And she wondered if there was a formula to be somebody. She did not know anyone uh, who had even gone to college. And she saw that the path would be through dark, unchartered territory. Those were her words. She found the path through education. <clears throat> graduating from East Cleveland High School, then Case Western Reserve University, and finally at Cleveland State Law School. She then was the first woman to join an over 30 male law firm, uh, Gurren and Merritt. But Annette always had a passion to right the wrongs of society and seek justice. One story about Annette is that when she was just seven years old, a teacher moved the desk of a classmate who had epilepsy to face the wall because he was a distraction. In open protest, Annette moved her desk next to his out of compassion and because that just didn't seem right. 
So Annette took the path of working to enforce compliance with the ruling from the Supreme Court decision of Brown versus Board of Education by taking a job as a civil rights specialist with the US Department of Health, Education, and Welfare's Office of Civil Rights. In that job, she investigated public school districts and higher education organizations for compliance with Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. She spent nights at airports and bus terminals and received death threats by the Ku Klux Klan at hotels and, and where she stayed. Early in her career in 1974, she took on the Cleveland Municipal Court and its 13 judges and charged them with race and sex discrimination in hiring. In 1975, that court signed a consent decree to follow fair employment practices and paid Annette's attorney's fees. While president of the City Club in 1979, she arranged the only debate between Mayor Dennis Kucinich and challenger George Voinovich. An enthusiastic Republican, she moderated a club forum wearing a Bush for President button. <laughs> I don't think that would go over well today. <laughs> the partisanship, I mean. Uh, Annette was a true leader and trailblazer among women. At a time of great social change during the women's movement, in addition to her role at the City Club, she helped found the Black Women's Lawyers Association of Greater Cleveland, Women's Space, and the organization Women Together. <clears throat> in 1982, she was chosen as an assistant U.S. attorney for the Northern District Civil Division, a position she held for 24 years. Governor James Rhodes appointed her to the Board of Trustees of Cleveland State University in 1982, where she championed the cause of minority student enrollment and retention. The university named her its Distinguished Black Alumna in 1989. At the age of 64, Annette returned to the City Club Forum in September of 2008 to debate Cuyahoga County Prosecutor Bill Mason in an unsuccessful effort to unseat him. She charged his administration with racial disparities in sentencing criminals. In November 2011, Governor John Kasich appointed her to the Cuyahoga County Court of Common Pleas. She lost that seat in the November 2012 election. She then served as Assistant Law Director for the City of Cleveland she also served on the Cuyahoga County Board of Revision and the American Arbitration Association's Mediation Panel. Annette was a mentor to many students, held many other positions, and won numerous awards, really too numerous for me to mention. One important thing about Annette is that she created and carried out this distinguished career while being a single mother to her two children, Christopher and Kimberly Butler, who are here with us. Annette's desire to be somebody reminded me of a quote from Abraham Lincoln. I recently read in John Meacham's excellent new biography of Lincoln called, And There Was Light. Meacham describes how very ambitious Lincoln was, something I, I guess I never really appreciated, how ambitious he was. But Lincoln said of his ambition, every man is said to have his peculiar ambition. Whether it be true or not, I can say for one, that I have no other so great as that of being truly esteemed of my fellow men by rendering myself worthy of their esteem. So Annette Butler, you were and are somebody because you are worthy of the esteem of your fellow men and women. So I'm very happy and honored to induct Annette Butler into the City Club Hall of Fame. <laughs> 
glorious day. It is such a blessing to share it with a room of such incredible people. Our mother, Honorable Nett Garner Butler, is our inspiration, our idol, and our hero. As the first African-American female president of the Cleveland City Club, mom was a pioneer in changing the landscape of opportunity for everyone during a very tumultuous time in civil rights. During her presidency, we had the privilege of being acquainted with President George H.W. Bush, Senator Astronaut John Glenn, and many, many other legends that have influenced our lives to this day. Mom always instilled in us from the words of our grandfather, Rudolph Garner Sr., do the right thing and utilize your gifted talents and opportunities to make this world a better place. She influenced and met her countless members of the community and beyond. She's always been the greatest supporter of our lifelong journeys, goals, and relationships. When you enter the Academy Tavern on Larchmere, which is our restaurant, <laughs> the street that she raised myself and my wonderful sister on for 22 plus years, her photo greets you in the foyer ringing the bell to adjourn Cleveland City Club Forum. On behalf of the Butler and Garner families, we would like to thank Dan Malthrop, Lisa Raybuck, and the entire Cleveland City Club faculty for this tremendous honor. If this were Friday, we'd be heading to the Academy Tavern right after this. Um, our final inductee is very special to me, Paul Harris. Um, when I first came to the City Club as the, the chief executive in 2013, um, Paul had already served as president. And I, somebody convinced him that it would be a great idea if he would, if, if he would decide and be willing to serve again as board president. And he did so for three years. Um, and it was incredible, Paul. I've said this to you before, but I want to say it again. It was an incredible experience to learn at your side, um, to collaborate with you over those first three years of my tenure here. And um, so I'm so excited for you to be inducted into the Hall of Fame and really delighted to invite a fellow past president of yours, a man who's sort of, along with you, responsible for my being here as well, Hugh McKay. Dan, I should really just have you do this. You're, you're, you're quite good at it. Uh, congratulations to the other amazing inductees and your families today. Just an amazing group. 
Uh, I'm Hugh McKay, a proud former president of the City Club, uh, and I'm, I'm also quite proud to say that for 40 years, I've been good friends and a colleague of Paul Harris, uh, including many years here at the City Club. Uh, and this truly is an honor for me, uh, just like it was for Rick. Uh, to step back, uh, Paul's bio leading up to today is really amazing and compelling and, and interesting. Paul is one of 12 children of Percy and Lalia Harris, a truly remarkable family in Iowa of lawyers, doctors, musicians, astrophysicists, you name it. Uh, and Paul's parents were trailblazers in so many ways. His dad was the first black doctor in Cedar Rapids, and his mom was a true Renaissance woman. And you can see how much of that rubbed off on Paul. Paul attended the University of Chicago. Uh, he's a great athlete, it should be noted, and he played varsity baseball at Chicago, although I don't think you really have to be a great athlete to play at Chicago. Um, but, but he is, he is a great athlete. Uh, he went on to Stanford Law School and as a summer clerk at Thompson Hine, where David Hooker and others uh, got him to go, uh, Paul had the supreme good fortune to rent an apartment from an exceptional landlord named Michelle, who is seated here today. And uh, four great children later, uh, here we are, uh, Christopher, Elizabeth, Andrew, and Catherine. Uh, they have a wonderful family, and uh, suffice to say, Michelle is wonderful herself. Paul established himself as a great corporate lawyer at Thompson Hine. He rose to partner in charge. He was the first black to be head of a major Cleveland law office. He was hired away to become general counsel and corporate secretary of KeyCorp, and he became a national leader among GCs of financial institutions. And in Cleveland, Paul made his mark in so many ways throughout the community, leading numerous civic and charitable causes and initiatives. I won't name them all. He was the chair of the Tri-C board. He most recently, I uh, helped with Jan and others help lead a very successful legal aid campaign. Uh, he's been everywhere around town for the good of the community. Any Cleveland institution would have been uh, blessed to have Paul's focus and commitment. Uh, but really, the City Club is exceptionally blessed by how Paul made the City Club really special for him and thus for us. Uh, he first became most heavily engaged with the City Club as a partner at Thompson Hine. Uh, he made Thompson Hine a major partner of the City Club, which it remains to this day. Uh, similarly, Paul did the same with Key Corp and made them an even greater partner, which they remain today. Uh, Paul has that effect on, on folks. Uh, he joined the, the uh, City Club board in the early 2000s and began years of dedicated hard work on governance committee, uh, building a stronger structure. He was committed to making the, the board a, a truly an engine of the club. It was one of his focus, fo foci, and he, he did it really well. I'll always be grateful for Paul reaching out to me and nudging me to get more involved in the city club, uh, which I did. He, Robin uh, Minter Smyers has the same story, although, of course, Paul was her biggest client when he asked, so <laughs> what do you expect? But 
Paul, Paul had a great ability uh, naturally to attract good people to want to be with him and near him. Uh, and he's just unique in that regard. He became board chair in 2009 as we endured uh, a recession that you may recall. Uh, and the City Club faced profound and even existential challenges. Uh, I was Paul's vice president at the time, and I witnessed his amazing leadership skills, uh, his passion, his vision, and he really uh, amazingly kept the club growing stronger than ever in, in challenging times. I succeeded him as president, uh, and Paul's demonstrated gift for leading the City Club was so great, as Dan mentioned, that the board amended the Constitution to allow the president to serve three one-year terms. So the board went back and installed Paul as president again for another three years. Now, I was available, um, <laughs> but I have to confess, uh, I have to confess the board made the right call. And bear in mind, during those, the four years that Paul led the City Club, which was historic in and of itself, he had an extremely demanding life uh, professionally and with other commitments. But again, he went out of his way to make the City Club, I would say, his top, he can speak for himself, but my perception is uh, his top priority. And he went above and beyond the call of duty for this club. Uh, Paul's leadership was historic and transformative for the City Club uh, in terms of strategic planning, programming, recruiting a diverse board, stabilizing and growing our financial base, uh, and establishing the increased importance of the endowment. Uh, even now, Paul is helping lead the City Club campaign, uh, and I have to say he and Michelle have been extremely generous, uh, and uh, we thank you both for your ongoing amazing generosity. Uh, I should note, uh, as has been mentioned, uh, Paul was instrumental in our efforts to uh, get Dan Malthrop to be our CEO, uh, and that truly was a home run by the great baseball player Paul Harris. And, and now, uh, as those of you who have been president of the City Club know, a great perk of the job is the chance to meet and introduce incredible leaders, and we've heard about that some today. Now, Paul relished that. He, he, he relishes everything that he is supposed to do and does it really well, and that certainly was the case with his uh, introduction role at the City Club. Now, in his time as president, Paul introduced 106 speakers, which, like Joe DiMaggio's 56-game uh, hitting streak, is a record that will probably never be broken, uh, nor probably will his four years as president. Uh, Paul was there, obviously, for many truly special moments uh, in City Club history. I won't go through them, except I will note that in 2015, President Obama came to the City Club, as you'll probably all recall. Uh, and backstage, Paul was approached by the president, who said, hey, Paul, let's take a picture. And Paul graciously agreed. <laughs> shows what judgment he has. And after President Obama's speech, he came down to greet Paul again, and the president uh, greeted Michelle and asked who she was. And Michelle said, I'm Paul's wife. And Paul notes that this is the only time she ever introduced herself that way. 
And the president then said to her, well, you must have a name. And she said, Michelle. And the president said, well, with a name like that, you can't go wrong. So, and the president at that great session also met Paul's youngest daughter, Catherine, who was deciding between Harvard and Stanford Law Schools at the time. Uh, and the president said that uh, Harvard was the clear choice. Uh, and Catherine loved the president, but disagreed and picked Stanford. And, and I believe Paul was good with that. So I could go on and on and on about Paul. Uh, I will just say that in short, uh, Paul's stewardship of the City Club has been a model of civic leadership. Uh, Paul Harris is a true City Club hero. Uh, Paul, we thank you for your prodigious commitment to the City Club, uh, and I'd like to call you up to be inducted. Actually, I'm remembering a time I was doing an introduction, one of those 106 introductions, and part of my, my introduction got caught in the, these little things here. And while I was doing the introduction, I was trying to like make sure that I could flip to the next page. So one of those nuances behind the scenes that you might not fully appreciate. So uh, thank you very much, Hugh. That was really wonderful. And just a couple of uh, clarification points. You said is a great athlete, was a great athlete, would be appropriate. And actually, I was a really good baseball player. So um, although I only hit four home runs in four years and probably should have been playing second base instead of center field. But uh, I also have fond memories of our playing softball together on the powerhouse Thompson High softball team. <clears throat> Another clarification, um, the reference to four children, just to be clear, that did not happen starting in the summer of 1982, <laughs> 40 years ago when Michelle and I met. Uh, it happened in the 86, right, four years later, although we were married uh, three years later. So we did things right. It was a close call, but we did things right there, <laughs> if you do the math. And my kids are aware of what's going on here, so just to be clear, everything was legit there. Um, I am very honored to be inducted into the Hall of Fame for this illustrious institution, a Cleveland treasure, definitely, but an institution whose impact goes way beyond Cleveland, um, national and international. Um, I would like to extend my congratulations to Annette, Art, and Bruce. Uh, Bruce, I second everything you said about the City Club. Um, as Hugh mentioned, I did have the introduction or the opportunity as you to introduce a president. And boy, that was, a, that was an incredible day. A uh, high energy president who did not follow any of the rules that the Secret Service stated to me. Paul, this is how things are going to happen. Didn't happen any, anywhere near that. I also remember that I think the first question Obama got. Was, and he asked me for permission to take questions, which was kind of cool, because obviously he didn't have to do that. But the first question he got was something like, would you do anything differently, um, and, you know, looking back um, at your term? And uh, 
he paused and he said, yeah, I think I would dye my hair. Uh, I would have started dyeing my hair. I thought that was a great answer. At the time, I was so engrossed in things, I said, well, that was a creative answer, but I wish I had listened to him because I could have had an opportunity to dye my hair too. <laughs> I, there's a point in time where you just, you know, it's too late, you can't do it. You know, people say, oh, midlife crisis there. So uh, really, I just want to take a chance to acknowledge a few special people and thank them. First, of course, is my wife, Michelle, who I'm sure has lost track of the number of times I came home and talked to her about the latest City Club event or development or issue. Uh, she's an educator and the director of Hawkeye Middle School, and I've learned a lot from her about the importance of critical thinking, being informed, being a good listener, and being respectful in sharing perspectives on controversial and sometimes uh, divisive topics. A pretty good alignment there, I would say, with the City Club's mission. I also want to thank our four kids who were not able to make it here, but I want to acknowledge them by name, Christopher, Elizabeth, Rui, and Catherine. We had a lot of great family conversations about the City Club. Actually, we still do. And one neat tradition, our, our kids, we call them kids, but they're kind of adults now. Um, but we still take family vacations together, which is really cool, and we're going to be doing that uh, in a couple of weeks here. So I want to thank my dear friends at uh, Table 6 who joined us today. I also want to acknowledge Michelle's colleagues at Table 1 from Hawkins School. Thank you very much for showing up, including the head of school there. Um, a very special thanks to Jim Foster, who really is a person who substantively introduced me to the City Club. And a special thank you also to Dan Muthrop, uh, as you heard, I had the pleasure to work with him for three years, and the one word I would use to describe that experience was fun. It was always fun. I mean, for me back then, it was like all day Friday, pretty much. Um, thanks, thanks to Key for letting me do that. I don't know if they knew I was doing it, but boy, did I spend a lot of time here. <laughs> um, so special thanks to, to Dan. Special thanks to my colleagues, both past and present, on the board of directors. Many of them are here today, the current members. And a really special thank you to City Club members. Membership is really a, an important part of the City Club's tradition, and their passion is a huge part of what, I should say our passion as members, is a huge part of what makes the City Club the outstanding organization it is today. So there are exciting times ahead for the City Club, and I'm really looking forward to being very actively involved in them. So thank you very much. Paul, thank you so much. Um, Michelle, I think he's ready for his chapel talk. <laughs> Hawking folks get that joke. Okay, so uh, <laughs> thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this special City Club program. Our event today was this was the 13th induction of members into the City Club Hall of Fame. It might turn out to be, uh, it might very well turn out to be, in fact, if, if our plans go forward, this will be the last time we host an induction here at, at 850 Euclid. Um, as many of you already know, I think, you, we announced last week that we'll be moving to Playhouse Square next year. It's true. It's true. And 
We're very excited about it, and many of you here today are already a part of making it possible, and we're deeply grateful to you for that. This home at 850 Euclid, though, has served us really well for almost 40 years. Um, and a little over 20 years ago, led by Dick Pogue and many others here today, this space was renovated into the, what we see here now, which was designed by Robert Bostwick. It really is a tremendous space. It's been a wonderful space. And Dick, you and, and others on that, on that fundraising committee at the time, and the, the folks who were involved in, uh, in designing the space and, and supporting all of that, and supporting the City Club through a year of swing space across the street, um, you did such a great job, and we're so grateful. When I think about the contributions of um, so many people that went into this space but went and, and have gone into this organization for 110 years, I have to note how high all of you have set the bar for our performance here as an organization and, uh, and for what we do for the community. You all are not just the giants on whose shoulders we stand. You're also the models of civic engagement and achievement that we are called to follow. So thank you. Thank you so much. Please join me in thanking all the inductees and everybody else here today. Thank you. I would like to extend a, a quick note of gratitude, too, to our friends at Tri-C, at Hawken and Thompson Hine, who hosted tables here today. Thank you very much. And, uh, and, and things seem to come in threes. You also have three more chances to join us this week for a City Club Forum, if you're so inclined. There's information in your program. It's really a diverse group of programs. We have a Paralympian, uh, a philanthropist, and then the, um, the woman in charge of managing all of the region's stormwater, which is not an enviable task. And it sounds really weird and kind of like your eyes are going to glaze over, but it's going to be an amazing speech on Friday, I assure you. So you can find out more about those forums on our website at cityclub.org, and that brings us to the end of our program today. So thank you, Hall of Fame inductees. Thank you, friends and family of Hall of Fame inductees. Thank you, friends of the City Club, members of the City Club, board members, past presidents, champions of civic engagement all. Thank you so much for being a part of this today. Our program is adjourned. <laughs>